Welcome to a special encore presentation of Compassion Radio 360. Good morning, honey. It is Compassion Radio 360 time. We've always taken a story, a news article, something from the headlines that kind of pricked our hearts. We're looking for those things that have the ethic of compassion somewhere embedded in there Mm -hmm. and that has a twist to it and reminds us of our better angels as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it brings to mind a scripture in a new way. That's why we started this series. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you, Annie. That's exactly right about the articles that we look for. I love that we can look through the headlines of the day that may not be the top stories, but Mm -hmm. somewhere, you know, stuck in the news of the day, there's a story that reminds me that God is at work however he wants to be at work. We want our listeners to say, I could do that. I could be part of that solution. I could help with that. And the criteria is simply this. Do you see his fruit? Not so much whether it came from a doctrinal standpoint or religious perspective or something, but did the fruit of the Spirit actually fall to the ground where people could eat it? You know, if you're looking at the tree, is there good fruit on that tree? And that is enough for me to say, you know what? No matter who we're talking about here, no matter what their background is, no matter what they say they believe or who they say they're part of, if the fruit of the Spirit is alive and well in their midst, God's at work. Absolutely. We need to be willing to be brave enough to say, you know what? When it's true, it's true, no matter where you heard it. Mm -hmm. When it's real, it's real, no matter where it's growing. Mm -hmm. We have to be very intentional about looking to find where the Holy Spirit is at work. That's true. Oftentimes, churchgoers are entrepreneurial. We want to start something. We want to do something that's great, that's never been done, that's huge and big. And there's nothing wrong with doing a new thing. But oftentimes, God is already at work somewhere. We just need to join him there. Yep, God is at work. He's busy. He hasn't stopped. His rest is in himself. He doesn't need to stop doing good because he's God. He has all his strength and resources at his disposal, and he is on a mission to love his children all the way to the kingdom. The stories we're talking about here are not necessarily about the church doing things and not about the church doing things for the church. But there are a lot of people of faith that keep popping up in these stories that have a profound impact on policy, on the way people decide to solve problems. Despite Mm -hmm. being the kind of people they are, they are of that ethic that, you know, Jesus knew what he was talking about when it came to relationships and economics Mm -hmm. and spiritual piety. Mm -hmm. If we just acted a little bit like we say we believe him, Stuff changes around us. It's true. What God says matters, Mm -hmm. and what he tells us to do can actually be done because he doesn't order people to do things they can't do Mm -hmm. without him. Yeah. And that leads us to this brilliant article from the New York Times. It's not small potatoes either. No, no. This came out of Houston, Texas over the summer, and it's about helping the crisis of homelessness in our country. There's an organization in Houston called the Coalition for the Homeless. They gather up homeless people all across the city and find them homes, not in a homeless shelter, but actually a house or an apartment. I'll draw one particular parallel to something that is already practically working in our nation. That is the humane societies and other private enterprises across our country that save pets. Yes. They're focused on one mission alone, which is to get pets off the street and into a home that people can feed them Mm -hmm. and provide love for that pet. It also provides something of value to the family they go to, right? We have a mechanism for that, and Mm -hmm. everybody's pretty much in agreement. It's better than just letting animals run wild across our country. 
That's a practical thing. When we start talking about human beings, for some reason we want to distance ourselves from the practical and just talk about the theoretical. Because if we can get it to a point where somehow homeless people are always at fault for their circumstances, then we have no responsibility morally, we think, right. to intervene right. or to be involved with, nor do we want to run the risk of having to get too close to people who may drag us down. It's a pretty selfish or cynical attitude to start with, but many people start there and don't realize that's where they're starting. Yeah. But these are real people, and we can't just keep chasing them around like they're vermin and driving them out of our cities. Mm -hmm. That's not going to help anything. People will have to go somewhere or die trying. Right. And that's what's happening in a number of our cities. They clean out one part of the city, so to speak, and drive it to another part of the city. Then those people complain about those people arriving there and drive them back. Mm -hmm. That's happening in larger cities. Houston said, enough of this. Mm -hmm. These are people. How could we actually really get them off the streets so that they're not a problem and they're not going to be in danger of disease or crime mm -hmm. where they are? Mm -hmm. They thought about the whole person when they started this. Absolutely. And they did a lot of research into different organizations that were wanting to help the homeless. And went with evidence-based science on this one, which was what actually works. Not what you think is going to work mm -hmm. or what mm -hmm. fits your moral standards, whatever, but what actually does succeed. And they operated on those principles. The gal that coordinated this got together with different organizations across the Houston, Texas area. And organizations that tend to be in competition with each other, mm -hmm. she brought them together to work together to find a solution for the homeless in Houston. Right. And over the last 10 years, they have rehomed over 25,000 people, which is amazing yeah. to me. That's 25,000 families impacted by this program. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And what they've done is they've gone into these places, to these homeless encampments, throughout the course of a month or six weeks, and meet with people. Meet with these people. That's the big thing here. Yes. How many times do you hear about a program where they've said, let's start with actually talking to the people who will be affected? Well, they find out what their stories are. Yeah. What is your story? What brought you to this place of homelessness? And so many of them have such gut-wrenching stories about how they lost their homes or how they were kicked out of a family or how they just lost a job and weren't able to find proper housing. Just all kinds of things that yeah. we don't think of first right. when we think of the homeless. That there's probably a family story, a broken family mm -hmm. story behind many of these situations. But if we really asked, we would have to listen for the answers. Exactly. Houston mm -hmm. was brave enough as a civic government to do that very thing. Mm -hmm. They moved them from homelessness to a home. Right. Instead of giving them citations for trespassing or scattering them to the winds, like you talked about earlier, and sending them to homeless shelters, which only allow temporary status anyway right. in those places. And families often can't even and go to families them. families can't be together a lot of times in those places yeah. for various reasons. And, and they're all good reasons for that. But nonetheless, it separates families quite often. So this organization, this program sets them up for at least a year in a right. home and get their feet planted on the ground and get their job situation organized. And if they need to go to rehab, if there's a drug issue or there's a, an addiction issue of some sort, they have the safety then to deal with that. They have a place where someone can visit them and help. Exactly. It's not just on the streets. Back to the practical question here. When you're thinking about moving somebody off the street into a home, if you didn't vet them, you didn't know what they were about or why they're on the street. You wouldn't know who are the best potentials to help right away for the best return. Mm -hmm. 
But when you do learn their stories and you understand why they ended up where they are, what their motivations are for getting off the street, if they could, that changes everything of the calculus of the cost. Houston looked at this and said, what is it really costing us for a family to be on the street versus a family to be in an apartment? They did that slide rule and said Mm -hmm. it will cost us literally this much to put them in an apartment. It is costing us this much in health services, in emergency services, in police, in all kinds of things just to attend to the disasters that are rolling one after the other in encampments that are under bridges across Mm -hmm. their city. Mm -hmm. They put that number against the number of actually helping people directly, and they realized it was not even close to the cost they were already paying. They were saving serious money by saying human dignity matters And no matter what you think of why they're here, friends, we're going to take care of the problem and actually save you the taxpayer money. Well, and they're showing that even two years after people have been housed in these projects, the majority of them remain housed. Yes. They have not gone back to a state of homelessness, which is amazing. It's overwhelming. Because so many of them can now have jobs and actually go out and get them. There's a couple of areas that really pinged me, as you put it. That is talking about veterans, Mm. the huge population of homeless individuals. This program helped cut the wait time for veterans to find housing. Yeah. Ten years ago, homeless veterans waited an average of 720 days. Almost two years. And had to navigate 76 bureaucratic steps to get from the street into permanent housing. Yeah. And that was insane. Right. And that was with support of social services counselors. Today in Houston, the streamlined process has cut that wait to 32 days. Yeah. A month. I think that's brilliant. And 30 days, that's a a time frame that people don't tend to lose complete interest or contact with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would forget what's going on with somebody after a year much less two years. But a month, you might say, I wonder what happened with that situation for that person that I met 30 days ago. Their motto is housing first. Perfect. Yeah. Their idea is let's get these people into a safe place. Let's get them in a home, permanent shelter, not living in a tent, not living in a car. They're straight from the streets into an apartment, not requiring them to get off drugs or complete a 12-step program or get a social worker or find God or find a job. It's just here's a place for you to be safe. Here's a home for you. All of those other things are available to you. We can plug you in to social services or to religious organizations that are going to help you with these things. Once we know where you are. But that is not a requirement. (laughs) We have to stop requiring people to follow certain steps and rules to be acceptable. Or to be worthy of our generosity or compassion. Yes. Because compassion, we all know this, compassion really is not compassion if it has all kinds of requirements. Compassion takes people as they are. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. 
We all know this. Compassion really is not compassion if it has all kinds of requirements. Compassion takes people as they are. So if God is truly a compassionate God, he takes us as we are, not just Mm -hmm. so he can clean us up. But in relationship, we find ourselves going a long ways towards new things we never thought were possible because we're in a relationship with somebody we love. Mm -hmm. It's the love that motivates, not the shame that convicts. People change because they're loved not because they're shamed. Mm -hmm. I love this quote from this article. When you're drowning, it doesn't help if your rescuer insists you learn to swim before returning you to the shore. You can address that issue once you're on land Mm -hmm. or not. Either way, you join the wider population of people battling demons behind closed doors. That's my point. I think there's a place to deal with your issues that is safe, that is out of the weather, that is comfortable maybe even to face those, if you want to call them demons, face those demons, those issues that plague people. Yeah. They plague all of us, not just the homeless population. This is about humanity. Now, there are plenty of people in the church that are hiding their sins, their demons, their addictions, because they know that if they were honest about them within the church, they would be instantly shunned or shamed out of the fellowship. They don't want to lose their community, but they are dealing with addictions. That's happening in our bodies all across America, across the world. There is another subset of people in the church that have been honest, have emptied their souls and have cleared their conscience and are on a path towards change and renewal. They slip sometimes, they fall others, they stand up, they move forward, but they're honest people and people see them because they're wearing their life on their sleeve. They're not hidden, which I would say, biblically speaking, is the more forthright way to be in community. Right. We have to realize and acknowledge that there are plenty of hidden sins. And if we don't make room for them to come out and be helped and loved where they are, as they are, whether they change or not, then we really don't have a real honest community. If we extend that same kind of, we will deal with you only when you meet our standards attitude in society, and the church itself projects that's our ethic, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of Christians in America. They have a profound influence on policy. Mm -hmm. They have a profound influence on political parties. As they vote, they've pretty much got their way for most of the history of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So there's real power in that. But if we as a body don't decide that humans have dignity and we think that only hidden sin can be dealt with, as long as we don't have to talk about it, we can deal with you. That's hypocrisy. That's exactly what Jesus was saying about whitewashed tombs. You Pharisees love to set up edifices that look good, but they're full of dead man's bones. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want that for us because we are a living body. So that's my moral statement for this program. (laughs) Let's get back to the content of this article from the New York Times about how this program actually worked. In this article, they clear up a lot of misconceptions about Mm. homelessness. Now, there is a term called chronic homelessness, which is really reserved for those who just cannot function in a normal setting, and what we would call a normal setting in a home, an apartment, mainstream, mainstream yeah. life. But that is a very small portion of the actual homeless community. And there's some that have been living on the streets for more than two years. That's the chronic homelessness. Been homeless repeatedly, who have a history of mental or physical right. disabilities. Schizophrenia is one of the biggest things at the center yeah. of this. But most of the people who are experiencing homelessness right now don't fall into that category. It is homeless people, you know, like six weeks or two months or three months or whatever, who have lost a job. Like we said, 40% of them have jobs, 
but just can't make ends meet. And we all know what that's like to have more bills than cash flow at Mm. the end of the month. We've all been there. That's where 40% of these people at least are falling into that category. It's an agonizing thing. Sometimes people can couch surf and manage it with family members and everything, but not everyone is able to do that. Some don't yeah. have family in the area. And those who area. did start there might have been doing that for a year, and then they yeah. ran out of options with their friends, and now they're really truly on the street. And now people like the city of Houston are mm-hmm. noticing that they're actually literally on the street. Yeah, There's a lot of difficult transitions happening in this economy and this generation. So it obviously is indicative of a bigger issue. We can mm-hmm. talk about all that today. Again, to the content of what did they do and their motivation for what they're doing. There are a couple of paragraphs of this article I want to go ahead and just read verbatim. Houston has gotten this far by teaming with county agencies and persuading scores of local service providers, corporations, and charitable nonprofits, organizations that often bicker and compete with one another, to row in unison. And together, they've gone all in on this housing-first practice, supported by decades of research that moves the most vulnerable people straight from the streets into apartments, not into shelters, and without first requiring them to wean themselves off drugs or complete a 12-step program or find God or a job. The article goes on to say that there are addiction recovery and religious conversion programs that succeed in getting people off the street. But Housing First involves a different logic. As Sandy mentioned earlier, when you're drowning, it doesn't help if your receiver insists you learn how to swim because you can't save them while they're trying to learn something. You can address your issues when you're on land. In this scenario, we can see why it's logical. The city of Houston decided, let's find out what works, let's act on what works, and let's make it work. What really jumps out for me, honey, is that the city had to go spank the knuckles of all these different nonprofit organizations that wouldn't work together and say, you must, we're going to do this, we're going to do it together, so snap into gear here. It took a civil government to tell the church and lots of other faith-based organizations how to behave. And that troubles me, but also gives me hope that working in conjunction with civil governments, that churches can remind themselves, oh, we are actually part of a bigger community. It's not just us. Mm -hmm. We're not the only thing that matters here. Well, when statistics tell you that one in every 14 Americans will experience homelessness at some point in their lives... That's a big deal. That's a lot of people. It is. That number is a real number. So if you looked over the course of your lifetime of 70 years, let's say, and you were in and out of homelessness four or five times and it was a year or two at a time, that's a good chunk of your life was spent on the streets. Mm -hmm. We keep seeing that more and more in our cities because it's the only place that's left where there might be the potential of some services that can help them because everything's been shrinking towards the urban centers. If you've traveled through Los Angeles or other major metropolitan areas, you probably have seen an encampment or something that looks like a pretty sloppy or incoherent campground. Yeah, That's what these places look like. They're actually communities that are dysfunctional. And that's what they're dealing with is those communities and making them part of the bigger community by bringing the community around them. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of scriptures that rang in our minds as we read this article. One of the scriptures that I was drawn to is Matthew 25, where Mm. Jesus talks about all of the things that are done for the least of these. And I'll read the scripture, but I just wanted to say that as a believer, growing up in the church, seeing homelessness as something that people chose and people who didn't work hard enough was a big issue for me. This is turning a corner for me, or it has been over the last several years, turning a corner to view people as image bearers of God. Mm instead of the other. And I think that is the big point for me. They're not the other. They are image bearers of God. And I am called to love with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, God, 
mm-hmm. and my neighbor as myself. If we place any real value in the idea of being an American citizen, to look at anybody who's on the street, whether they have a green card or a driver's license or just born in the States, they're still our neighbors. Yeah. And most of them that are actually on the streets are, in fact, citizens of this nation. Yeah. So if nothing else, looking at them and saying, you know what, they're us. Mm-hmm. Starting with that mm-hmm. rather than starting with this notion of the other. I can't not see them as evil. Yeah. Let God flip the script for you. Start with, this is who I know them to be, says God. Mm-hmm. I want you to know them like I do. And approach from that positive end, not the other. Yeah. So Matthew twenty-five thirty-four through 40 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, mm-hmm. inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, I assure you of this. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We've heard these words since we were children, Mm -hmm. and they're true. How often do we think about what God is not saying here? What do you mean? How much theology is in this passage? Our definition of God. How much doctrine is in there about how we should (laughs) behave as a church? Zero. God is talking about people that act like Jesus. So when Jesus says, this is the kind of thing my father's going to notice. Did you actually act like me? Not wait for somebody else to tell you to join a cause. Not for some church to say, this is where we're sending our money to take care of the poor. You, where you are, were you in fact obeying me and noticing the people that I notice Mm -hmm. and doing something about it? This is not rocket surgery here. This is a... This is simply practical stuff. Do we really want to be those kind of people that are surprised with joy that God noticed we did something that we didn't realize was so important to him? Mm -hmm. Do we want to be doing things throughout our lives that are so full of positive love and compassion for others that we may have forgotten all about them, but God did not? Yeah. Well, I think you said an important thing in here, honey, is that what is important to God? Oftentimes, I think we don't ask that question. What is important to God? And this is very key in what Jesus is saying here. These are the things that are important to God. We can read through the scriptures. We can know all these scriptures. We can have all these verses memorized. We can go through all these Bible studies. But if we don't really search out the heart of God, what God wants to do in the world, then we're not following Jesus in the way that God calls us to. One of the things that I've been learning in this class that I'm taking on spiritual direction is don't try to figure out what's going on in the life of the person that you're sitting with in direction. Ask the Holy Spirit what is already being done in their life, what work is already started in their life, Mm. and then get on board with that. And celebrate it when you see it. Yeah. This article for us is about celebrating where we see God's hand at work. I see God's hand at work in moving people, civic authorities, as well as religious and nonprofit institutions across the city of Houston to actually work together in community to help their community and to believe that the evidence is real, that the research says if you'll get them off the street, literally, 
that something virtuous begins. A cycle, a positive cycle can start, and they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So they believe the truth, and they did something with that truth. And I want that to be a reminder to us that no matter where we are, that's what really counts. Are we really, really listening to the truth and acting on the truth mm -hmm. when it seems to be against our politics or against what we think God is saying about what it means to be a follower of his? Are we really willing to let him define it and not us define him? If we are, we'll find opportunities like this and we'll see God actually using us to make a huge difference mm -hmm, in the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to have this article posted on the podcast page of Compassion Radio, and I really hope you'll read it. There's some great stories within the article about real people. They put a face on homelessness and you can see these people struggling to make ends meet and to remain housed. And it's not a 100% foolproof solution for every person that goes into this program. There are those that continue to struggle with homelessness to find work enough to pay their rent, but it's hope. Yeah. It's hope for people. It's broken in America. Our housing situation is broken. And somehow, we have to be part of the solution. Good words, Sandy, and thanks for joining me on this particular subject. We haven't solved the problem for each no. one of us either, but I am hoping that we just kind of bend their need a little bit towards asking God those kind of things. What does he want us to really know about the situation around us and how to respond to it? And that's where we have to leave it on this Compassion Radio 360 program. We'll see you again Monday for the next Compassion Radio Chasing the Word. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.